You're listening to Sincerely Mrs. Mommy, the podcast, an extension of SincerelyMrsMommy.com, a mom lifestyle blog and platform dedicated to sharing real life tips, advice, and inspirational stories sprinkled with a little grace and faith. With me, Desiree Ofori, as your host, plus the occasional special guest, we'll have authentic conversations on mom life, marriage, and womanhood. My mission this year is to help inspire moms to become whole, sane, happy, and fly. So keep listening to see which of these topics we tackle this week. I hope you enjoy and remember to share this with your mom tribe or a mom you love. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sincerely Mrs. Mommy, the podcast. Today, I am so excited to bring to you an expert, <laughs> um, Dr. Tracy Pacquiam Alloway, and she is actually an, an award-winning psychologist, professor, author, and TEDx speaker. She has published 13 books and over 100 scientific articles on the brain and memory. She is an associate editor for the Journal of Applied Cognitive Psychology and the Journal of Educational and Developmental Psychologists, and is on the editorial advisory board for the Journal of Research and Reading. Her memory research is in the top 10 cited list by Scopus and cited over 1,000 times. She blogs for Psychology Today and Huffington Post. She is also the author of 13 books, children's books, popular science, and textbooks, and has over 100 scientific articles on memory and the brain. You guys, we have like the top of the line here today. <laughs> and I'm so excited to have her on here. Dr. Tracy Pacquiam Alloway, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on here today. Well, I, I know we talked a little bit before we got, before I pushed the record button, but I am really, really excited to have you on here. Um, for those of you who don't know, my professional background is actually in mental health counseling. I have my master's in licensed mental health counseling, and I practiced for several years in different arenas with um, the Department of Juvenile Justice, with substance abuse, with um, the Department of Children and Families, foster care. Like I've, I've, I've done like all the hard. <laughs> all the hard stuff and it's really cool um now that I'm not doing that anymore it's always nice to go back and talk to somebody who is in the field um who is in that psychology mental health realm so um social work all of that um just to kind of like tap back into I feel like tapping back into my old self (laughs) but I feel like it's still with me even though I'm not you know practicing professionally anymore the skills and the tools and the knowledge that I've learned and picked up over the years they're still with me so it's always exciting to be able to talk to somebody um, who comes from that that world. And I'm really excited to um, bring her in here with you guys. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much again. Yeah. So I know that um, I, gave, I read your bio. Would you like to introduce yourself if there's anything that I left out or that you want to, you know, mention? Um. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I wanted just to add, and thank you so much for the wonderful introduction as well. I mean, for me, it's not just something that I do for work. It's really a passion of mine. And I came to it actually right out of my PhD program. I was part of a big government funded grant and we were looking at children in kindergarten 
And the question, our research question was quite simple. It was really, what are the skills that a young child should have in place at five years of age that would help them to be able to be successful in the school environment? And we, at that time, we had hundreds of kids all across different school districts, all across the country. And we looked at all kinds of cognitive skills from reading, writing, um, nonverbal skills, puzzle making. So lots of fun, creative things as well. And really, that's when I began to get really excited about this particular research because I saw how important something like working memory is. And I know uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about that. But for me, it was just a passion to see these kids and being able to see how some of them would, would continue to excel despite you know, some of the preconceptions the teachers had. Well, others would struggle and that would you know, get undetected. And the teachers would say things like, oh, they're just, they just don't pay attention or they're daydreamers or they're just not really listening. And I, I wanted to know, was that the case or what was going on? And I began to see that working memory was such a key piece in this puzzle to helping us understand how children learn. And so that kind of got me on this journey that I'm on today. And I'm, as you can tell, I'm so excited about being able to talk about it. That's so awesome that it's not like, I love what you said that it's not just work. Like it's your passion, you're passionate about it and you love it. So that helps when you're doing your research and when you're doing all that you do, like it just helps you push you further and, and encourages you to go deeper and not just on the surface level. Like you feel this from your heart. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So could you explain to us what working memory actually is? Yeah, so I like to think of working memory as your active memory. It's the memory that you use when you're engaged with something. So when you're listening and you're having a conversation, it's your working memory. And if you touch your forehead, that part of your brain is called the prefrontal cortex. And that's the home of working memory. And so when you're having a conversation, your working memory is firing up. It's active. And we know that from brain imaging research, it's drawing your knowledge from your long-term memory. So if someone is talking about a birthday party, your working memory goes all the way back to your long-term memory and says, oh, at birthday parties, you have a cake, you have balloons, you sing happy birthday. And they bring that out and they bring that to the conversation. You may say, what kind of cake did you have? What color balloons did you have? And that's your working memory, putting all the pieces together from what you're hearing, your incoming information, as well as knowledge that you've already stored. And it's a really critical skill that we need, not just in everyday life, but in the classroom as well. And so when the teacher is talking, when we're learning new words, that's your working memory that's coming into play to actively join our knowledge that we know with new information that we're learning. And so with, with kids, I know that traditionally edu in education, at least in America, traditionally it is to sit, <laughs> sit at a desk, the teacher is up front instructing, and you take in the knowledge, you do your writing, you do your reading. Um, there may be some group activities, but usually you're pretty stationary. Do you feel like, um, and then there's the Montessori um, way of education where you're, there's, you know, uh, what is the word, um, stations and you're more hands-on. Do you mm -hmm. feel like being more hands-on helps with our working memory than just, you know, sitting stationary? That is such a great question. Um, and I think the first thing to consider is the developmental age of the child. So okay. 
for young children, it's very important that movement, like you mentioned, you know, being able to not just sit still the whole time is important for learning across the board, not just if a child has ADHD. There's been a number of pieces of research. One was a longitudinal study. So they followed children over the whole school year where they, they had two groups. One was in a traditional classroom um, like you described, you know, they sit down, they learn in the same way that our schools are set up. And in a second group, they had them move. And now these were not just young children. They were even middle schoolers. And they had a move. Maybe it was walking around. Maybe it was doing jumping jacks. But it was all a group classroom activity as they were learning math, facts, spelling words, and so on. And they found that at the end of the school year, the children that were allowed to move while learning remembered and performed much better across the board in subjects like math and spelling. And in part, we know that when we're moving, we're getting blood to, remember we talked about the front of our head, the prefrontal cortex, that's a working memory. And when we move, we're getting our blood moving, our blood flow up to our prefrontal cortex, which allows your working memory to work even better when we're learning. Wow, that is, that is incredible. And when you were talking and describing that, I what came to my mind is like when we're trying to memorize something for like example a test or remember somebody's name or a sequence of numbers usually like if we make up a song to go with it or some kind of an action as adults it helps us to remember and it's kind of the same with not kind of but I feel the same way with children when we're teaching them something new if we start to add you know motions hand motions and a dance to it and make it fun, they tend to be able to remember it easier. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that is what um, psychologists call the difference between shallow processing and deep processing of information. So imagine that you are at a dinner party and someone says, oh, this is my friend Jane. And all you're thinking about is, oh, did I, did I already, you know, grab a drink on my way in? When's, you know, when, course coming, you're not really paying attention. So that would be a good example of shallow processing of information. But if you actually look at her and you say, Jane, it's so nice to meet you. My friend told me that you are, um, you also work in this industry just like I do, or you also have children or you live in this part. And that is deeper processing because you're using more um, sticky points, if you will, to get that information into your long-term memory. And so sometimes when we forget things, we think, oh, I have a bad memory. But really, it's not that our memory is bad. It's that we have two parts to our memory, the getting in, that's called encoding, and then the getting out, that's called a retrieval. And when we have retrieval failures, we think, oh man, I, you know, I'm, I must be really stressed out or I'm worried, am I losing my memory or why can't my child remember anything? It could be an encoding problem, a getting in problem, because they're just using a shallow way of remembering information. So in the classroom, if it's very chaotic or if it's very busy and they're not paying attention, it's possible that they're not actually getting that information in to begin with so that when they're asked a question or on a quiz and they don't know the answer, it's not that they've forgotten. It's that it was never in there to begin with. Got it. Wow. That is so, like, I feel, I can literally feel my brain tingling. <laughs> it's like <laughs> new, new um, neural pathways are like <laughs> forming right now. <laughs> I can literally feel like, oh, okay, wow. <laughs> Especially when you said, you know, the retrieval and the encoding, it's like, okay, I, mm -hmm. I totally get that. 
and I hope it's okay to use my um, my oldest son as an example. He is, um, he'll be five in June in a couple mm-hmm. of months. And the school that he's at right now, um, shameless plug, Excel Christian Academy <laughs> in Lakeland, Florida, they, their approach um, right now to learning is more of the hands-on and allowing the kids to do movement and the activity centers and things like that. Um, yeah. Of course, he's in K-4, but they also have that incorporated in their, um, the academy side, the kindergarten through 12th grade. And mm-hmm. the thing that I love about it is that um, for my son, he's very active. He's very... Yeah um energetic mm-hmm. <laughs> as you can say hyper at times he loves to entertain he like part of his daily affirmations um that he added at the end of it is a list of things and he added at the end that he's a singer a rock star <laughs> mm-hmm. <Love it>. that's great <laughs> so it gives you an idea of who he is <laughs> that's so fantastic <laughs> and some people may think like, well, he's kind of like off, he can be off the wall sometimes. And maybe it's the ADHD thing. Um, I've never had him tested, but I remember my mom um, kind of relate saying that I was the same way growing up. And when they had me tested, I tested as gift gifted. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm thinking that he is the same way because from when he was really, really young, we did flashcards with him, you know, first time parents, we wanted him to, you know, <laughs> yeah, of course. The best. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, but we drilled him, there was flashcards and stuff. He knew his numbers, shapes, colors. Um, they did a little bit of testing with him um, just to see where he was in his former daycare and mm-hmm. they were like, Oh, he was, I think he was maybe like two at the time, two, three, three years old. And they were like, Oh, he's really, really smart. He knows all these answers. And you know, when we, and people, you would always tell us like, he's really smart, you know, advanced for mm-hmm. his age. Yeah. But um, we just figured maybe it's because, you know, you're not downplaying his genetics, but <laughs> also because we were so involved with him early on. Mm-hmm. But when he went to um, excel now for preschool for uh, pre-k they did testing in the beginning of the year and then again in the middle of the year and thankfully they are open to being you know allowing them to move so his teacher at the time said you know he he was a little bit low in these areas but in the middle of the year like his scores like he is he's gone away above yeah what they were in above average and sometimes they would think that you know samson is likes to move and we we give him you know parameters like okay you can you can move around in this area but you can't be like way over there in the other side of the (laughs) and they said you know he'll be moving he'd hear a clip of a song on the phone and he can just you know continue like he'll remember it like his memory is always i guess his working memory is really good and she yeah. said that sometimes they would think that he's not paying attention because he's moving around and carrying yeah. on. But then when they would ask the question, not even directly to him, just ask it to the group. He's one of the first ones to raise his hand. He knows the answer. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, like how you were saying with the movement and the processing, like that is his way of processing information Yeah. and allowing him to um, excel. And yeah. I just think like it just make it's making me feel like okay <laughs> we're good. 
Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it's fantastic that he has a school system that encourages and, you know, facilitates that for him. And I thought it was really interesting, too, how you pointed out that at first someone thought he, you know, it was the behaviors were similar to ADHD. And in my own research lab, I had a chance to work with the National Association of Gifted Children. And in one of my government-funded studies, I compared children with a clinical diagnosis of ADHD with those children who are classified as gifted, but not ADHD. So I had two different groups, my clinical ADHD group and my gifted no ADHD group. And I found that when I gave the classroom teachers um, a behavior checklist to kind of give me a feel for these kids' behaviors in the classroom, the gifted kids looked exactly like the ADHD kids with respect to their behavior. In other words, the teacher was saying, hey, look at Johnny over here. Look at Susie over here. They're jumping around. They're, you know, talking when I'm talking and I'm trying to teach a lesson and they're blurting out answers. So some of these, what is called oppositional behaviors, like wanting to prove their point, they were picking these out in the gifted children the same way they were picking it out in the clinical ADHD kids. But of course, we know that their cognitive profile is very different. Mm-hmm. And we also know that the reasons for that is very different. And we know that if a gifted child has not been identified as being gifted, they end up experiencing a lot of frustration in the classroom because they're not being challenged. And so they end up you know, wanting to participate, doing all of these what is perceived as hyperactive behaviors, simply because they want to be able to engage more. They want that challenge more. And so it's really important for, you know, as parents, if we know that our children need that extra support when it comes to the classroom learning for giftedness, that extra kind of motivation and challenge, I would definitely advocate for getting them assessed for giftedness so that they can get access to, you know, more um, more challenging and motivating materials to kind of address some of these behavior concerns. Otherwise, unfortunately, for a lot of these kids, if they aren't in an environment, like it sounds like your son has such a, a positive environment, but some kids don't have that. And so right. the teacher automatically classifies them together with the ADHD type of kids, when in fact, it's not an ADHD problem. It's a, it's a, an easy fix that could be supported with more challenging school material. Got it. And you did an an amazing article for <laughs> sincerelymrsmommy.com. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> it was we titled it The Difference Between Gifted and ADHD plus mm-hmm. helpful tips on what to do next. And the feedback that I've been getting so far is amazing. Um oh, of course yeah. people are loving the um the article is very educational, it's very informative, very insightful. And it's an easy, it's an easy read for you guys to understand um, the difference. And I strongly encourage you to check it out if you haven't already. You can go to sincerelymrsmommy.com. And of course, in today's mini blog post or show notes associated with today's episode, I will definitely have it linked. But you did talk about that um, difference between, with the behaviors being very similar Um, between a child with ADHD and a child who is considered gifted. But you also talked about um, how they can be both. Would you mind um, tapping into that a little bit? Yeah, so that that profile is called twice exceptionality. 
And that means that they are gifted by uh, the state uh, qualification of gifted. In other words, they have an IQ score that meets the criteria uh, by the Florida Board of Education, which is also the same score that other states adopt as well, that other uh, state education boards adopt. Um, and so they meet that criteria for giftedness but they also may have a clinical diagnosis of ADHD. And we know that ADHD can be the result of one of two pathways. One, it could be the way their brain is set up. So for example, we know that the brain of an individual with ADHD, there are two key features. One, they have an overactive motor cortex. The motor cortex is what controls our movement. And that's why you may see a child or an individual, even an adult with ADHD, always kind of shaking their foot or tapping their finger or kind of moving in their chair, even if they're reading or having quiet time. So in that particular study, um, the researcher found that when they, so they put movement trackers, like little foot trackers to capture movement of the children. Some had a clinical diagnosis of ADHD and some didn't. And he found that the more the children with ADHD moved, the more they were allowed to tap their foot and move around in the classroom, the better their memory and the better their attention. And that goes back to how their brain is working. If they have poor working memory and an overactive motor cortex, and they have to use their small working memory to control their movement, they don't have a lot of resources left to listen to what the teacher is saying. So by allowing them to move, to get up, to have a stand-up desk, those kinds of uh, supports like that in the classroom can be hugely beneficial for children who do need to move while they're learning. Instead of trying to say, no, we have to train them because their brain is already wired to move. Plus, we know that they have limited working memory resources that we're now asking them to use to moderate their behavior instead of paying attention to learn in the classroom. Wow. When you were talking about the, you know, this standing, um, working desk. I thought mm -hmm. about adults, how now we have those in the office yes. space. And mm -hmm. so for adults, um, do you have any recommendations for adults who may be experiencing um, ADHD symptoms or they feel like they're just not being able to process their workload? Yeah, I would say that, you know, uh, first, a couple of things. First of all, regular breaks, like movement breaks, in the same way that we feel we need snack breaks or kids need snack breaks, we should take movement breaks. Like maybe every five minutes in the hour, we get up, we walk around, we do a couple of jumping jacks, we jog on the spot, whatever that might be in, in your workspace that you have, just get a little movement going. The second, if you are able to start your day that, um, with a little run, my own research as well as lots of others have found that even a brief period of 16 minutes, it's one six, not six zero, of running in the morning <laughs> helped uh, school children. And in my study, I was looking at adults. It found, I found that it improved working memory by 20% after just um, a self-paced run of 16 minutes. So you can run at your own pace. But again, the whole idea that researchers have found when they look at blood flow to the brain is that running increases your blood flow. And as I mentioned, some studies have found that that effects will remain even up till the afternoon. So that's a quick handy tip to kind of get you going during the day as well as taking movement breaks throughout the day to keep you going uh, if you are an adult that needs that extra movement or ADHD, uh, you know, have kind of these ADHD type symptoms. Wow, that is confirmation again <laughs> that <laughs> working out or exercise you know, in the morning is good for you. Um, the last podcast episode I had 
was with a physical therapist and she was talking about the same thing that you don't have to work out it doesn't have to be like an hour long especially for Mm -hmm. those of us who have you know children at home Mm -hmm. it's not always feasible to get this long you know juicy workout in but she said (laughs) (laughs) even 15 minutes 13 30 minutes is is really good and better than none and so for you to say you know 16 minutes I'm like okay all right Des we really got to get our life together (laughs) this would be the physical therapist has said it and now the psychologist has said it two doctors have said it (laughs) this is amazing do you have any recommendations for parents um now I'm sure we're going to be not even just quarantine for a long time, but most of us, our kids probably will not be finishing out the school year. So we, they will be home with us the rest of the summer. Yeah. Um, do you have any recommendations for us as parents working with our kids with their schoolwork or just activities at home um, to help them to, to process and to hold on to this information that they're learning from home in a, in a different environment than they're used to? Yeah, the first is actually a really simple tip, um, and that's to keep a tidy workspace. And the reason that tidiness is so important is because studies have found that a messy home environment is linked to higher cortisol levels. That's our stress hormone. So when they asked moms um, you know, to rate the kind of messiness of their home and then took samples of their saliva to measure cortisol or stress, they found that the messier the home, the more stressed the mother was feeling, which she then passed on to her children. So even a simple thing like spending five minutes at the start of the morning before you begin your schoolwork with the kids or ending the evening that way where everyone pitches in to put things away can make a huge difference to your stress, your mental health. Um, It also, studies have also found that being in a messy environment can lower your immune system it makes people more likely to catch colds and so on. So again, another reason, especially during this time to stay physically healthy is to keep a tidy uh, home environment. The second is kind of a fun tip and um, it's, it's doodling. And this was a research done by a colleague of mine. And she found that when people doodle, when they're learning new information, it, it stops them from letting their mind wander. So we know if there's something new and we're not that interested, our mind wanders, right? We think, right. Oh, what can I what can I play after this? I wonder if mom will let me, you know, read this book or play this game and so on. So our mind is wandering and we're not engaged in the activity. But she, uh, this researcher, this colleague of mine found that when she asked uh, people to doodle while they were doing a not very interesting task, they were more likely to remember the information because the doodling kept them on task at least a little bit. So they didn't disengage entirely. They were able to focused for some of it so again if you're teaching something new to the children or maybe you're reiterating uh, doodling may help them uh, if that's something that you enjoy doing you know if they're art, arty or artsy type of kids um, that may be a fun way to keep them focused and actually i'll give you a third tip um, and that is to learn before bedtime and this uh, this is a great tip for memory and a lot of research has found that when they compared when people learn new information at the start of the day the middle of the day or the end of the day just before bedtime they found just before bedtime to be the most effective time to remember new information and there's something about sleep that helps consolidate and kind of lock in that new information uh, in part because we're less open to 
interference or distracting information. So we learn it and we go to sleep and we're more likely to remember that even the following week. So if you are trying to teach a tricky concept to your, your child at home, maybe doing it just before bedtime could be a good strategy to use. Wow. That is, that is new information. <laughs> That's definitely new information. I may try that out. So it may make the day kind of easier too, just to end with. <laughs> yeah, end with the spelling word so you don't feel like yeah. you're sleeping in before two o'clock or three o'clock in the afternoon. I also wanted to mention if any of your listeners you know, are concerned or think that your child may be gifted, we do offer online psychological telehealth testing at elephantclinic.com. And the tests are conducted by licensed psychologists, myself included. And the tests all fall under the guidelines of the Florida Department of uh, Education, Florida Board of Education. Yes, thank you. I did want to mention that as well. All right, so the little one's getting restless, but I thank know, I you again. Rest, so I'll let you go. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for this. And everyone, I will definitely have all the links to what we mentioned in the show notes. Thank you, Dr. Alloway. Thank you. Take care. And you too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. So family, how was that? Was that awesome or was it awesome? Did you love it or did you love it? Like seriously, I am just so honored and so thankful that we had Dr. Tracy Pacquiam Alloway on this episode today. I learned so much and I know that I will definitely be coming back to listen to this episode over and over and jotting notes and being able to start finding ways to implement what she taught us today for my kids. I think that this is awesome to learn this now and to try and practice it at home now that our kids are at home for online distance learning and see how it does, how it works out for your kids. And if it works out for your kids and you're seeing the great progress, this is awesome information to take to your child's school in the fall when you have your teacher parent conferences or when you're meeting your kids teachers for the first time this is valuable information to share with them so that maybe they can start implementing it in their own classroom or in the school and see better results for your child and for your students I believe that all of our kids are very smart and it's just a matter of us finding ways to tap into that supporting them and having tools in place that can help them to excel so if you would like to learn more about Dr. Tracy Pacquiam Alloway and the research that she does, you can visit her website, tracyalloway.com, and that's spelled T-R-A-C-Y-A-L-L-O-W-A-Y. And on her website, she has a lot of information, video clips that you can watch about working memory, about education, health, social behavior. She also has some information about telehealth testing so if you're in the florida area not even florida area but if you live in the state of florida you are able to get telehealth testing with dr tracy pacquiam alloway with elephantclinic.com and if you click on there when you go to that website there will be a pop-up that comes up and you'll be able to enter your name and email address to be entered into their monthly drawing for a free assessment and that's worth five hundred dollars Assessments are also covered by insurance, but this is also a great way 
to get your child tested if you are concerned about autism, ADHD, dyslexia, or if they are gifted. So definitely check out elephantclinic.com, check out her website, tracyalloway.com, and her books that she has for children, you can find that on Amazon, and there are books about dyslexia, ADHD, autism, anxiety, and working memory. These are children's books, so you can read them with your kids, your children, if they're old enough to read on their own, they can read it themselves. And it can just be really encouraging and empowering to them to see that it's not a disadvantage of what they have, but this is their superpower and maximizing what they are able to do instead of focusing on what they're not able to do or however the world may say that they are limited. If you want to just find an easy way to find all of these things, go to SincerelyMrsMommy.com. I will have the link for the blog post that goes with this episode in the description bar. So definitely check it out. But if you don't click on there, you can go to SincerelyMrsMommy.com and look for podcast episode 26. This week, it'll be the first one to pop up on the screen. And that is helpful expert tips to improve your child's working memory plus yours too. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and your family on social media, text message, email, however you share important, valuable information to the ones that you love and care about. And if you would be so kind, head on over to Apple iTunes and leave us a review. I haven't had any reviews on there for a while, so I would love to see a new review on there so that I can read it on the next episode. But other than that, I just thank you guys so much for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and be blessed.